Welcome to Tales of the Resistance, a podcast about antimicrobial resistance. On today's show, we're joined by a rotating lineup of members of the I Am Responsible Project, a nationwide team of researchers and educators working on solutions to AMR. I'm Mara, one of today's hosts, and I'm joined on the podcast today by the lovely Amber. Hi, everyone. And the marvelous Miss Beth. <laughs> Hi, good to be here. Um, and on today's show, we're going to be talking about some of the interesting current events and news going on in the wide world of antimicrobial resistance that we found and we thought would be interesting to discuss with our fellow hosts and hopefully with the audience as well. Okay, so today we're going to talk a little bit about the most recent of the annual reports from the World Organization for Animal Health, WOE, on antimicrobial agents intended for use in animals. This is the seventh annual such report that they've been doing. And what it basically is, is they will ask countries around the world to sort of report data they have on how much antibiotics are being used for use in animals. So over the last seven years, they've had increasing numbers of countries who are uh, volunteering this data and who are being able to get higher levels of data. So they will summarize in their annual report what that data shows. So I chose this report as a discussion for today. For one, because antimicrobial use in animals is something that we have talked about quite a bit in the past, and this is a really good overview of what is going on in the world on this topic. And I also picked it because there are some positive indicators in this report that I thought it would be good to highlight. The top line headline from the report is pretty positive. They reported for the for the globe a 13% decline in the amount of antimicrobial used in animals from the previous reporting period. 80 countries participating in the study represent 65% of the total animal production in the world. So you're getting the majority of animals in the world covered now in this report um, because they've increased the number of participants. And and for that majority, 65% animal production, you're seeing a decline. So we don't know what is going on with the other 35%. This report doesn't cover them, but we can we can be hopeful about what we do know. And then a little bit narrower, 33 of the countries that participated reported declines in the total amount of antimicrobials used. There were some increases in the some of the regions, Africa and the Americas. But overall, another major top line result from the report was that 68% of the countries that volunteer data for this report have officially disallowed antimicrobial use for growth promotion. Antimicrobials have been used in livestock production previously in some countries or continued in other countries for this idea of growth promotion. And that would be providing a very low level of antimicrobials, which has the potential to increase antimicrobial resistance so 
the fact that we're at 68% of reporting countries having disallowed this is, is a positive. Obviously, that means that you've got the 35% of countries that we don't know about. And then the ones that we do, there's still um, a substantial amount <laughs> that we're still waiting. Uh, they haven't disallowed it. So a long ways to go yet, but but progress is being made. Before I get any more into the weeds, you guys had a chance to look this over. I recognize it's a long article, and, <laughs> and um, for for insight to our listeners, I probably sent this to them. Maybe not enough time to didn't give them the time to read it that thoroughly. But uh, do you have some top line observations or, or thoughts of what you were able to read through there? Well, I found um, I found it interesting. I found it encouraging. It's good to see how the motivation for change is picking up. More and more countries are getting uh, investing in that buy-in. Are are not only have made their national action plans, but are working to implement them. Um, not every country, but you know, here's where we're at. So, and it's it's more than it was before. So, and it's always encouraging to see there's a lot of regulation on using antibiotics for growth, uh, animal growth. So I think it's an encouraging thing to see, very much so. I would piggyback off of what Beth said. I also felt encouraged. It's it's always nice to see a decrease in the use of uh, antibiotics. I have to admit, this was a little heady for me. The article was a little above my pay grade, but um, <laughs> I was curious why there's an increase in the Americas? Well, um, one of the things that they don't do is they they don't necessarily break this down by country because they don't want to, I guess, call anyone out. It's voluntary, so we're all in this together sort of thing. If you explore the data a little bit more, um, you do see, like, in the Americas, they have the highest participation mm. in the report like uh, in terms of of proportion of the total animals that are in the region that are covered in the report um it's much much higher in the americas than any of the other regions it's something okay. like 90 percent uh 94 percent looks like so that doesn't answer the question of in terms of why it increased per se but i would say it's possible that you have a similar pattern elsewhere. You just don't have the same amount of reporting. That that could be, because I don't really have a reason for for why they would have more, except that it's kind of one of those things where the first thing that you do is you get more information, mm -hmm. and then you find, you know, the problem is bigger than you thought, um, but the information isn't what's causing the problem it's just defining the problem and so then you have better insight into the problem and you can deal with it but just like when we started getting rapid testing on COVID and it looked like there was way more people getting infected mm -hmm. and it wasn't a true mm -hmm. spike it mm -hmm. was a a better vision into the spread that was already occurring I would guess that because you have higher participation or there isn't maybe so much of a difference as there is in the actual use as there is in the data available would be my guess but I don't know so you know I 
I am simply making a hypothesis that would need to be tested. So. <laughs> well, it sounds like a good hypothesis. <laughs> well, I would go on to add to that from what I what I understand. So the um, article is, is is measuring decrease and increase in uh, antibiotic use, and it's not necessarily saying which countries are using the most. So a lot of times you'll, you'll hear um, in low and middle income countries, the use of antibiotics are spiking. It's a lot more than in other countries. It's rising the most there, which is true. But when you look at how much percent of the world's antibiotics are being used by low and middle income countries, then you see, wow, that's a lot less than what is currently being used in higher middle income countries. And so it's spiking in low and middle income countries, but it's still not like any, a lot of times it's not anywhere near how much are being currently used in a high income country. That's, I mean, that's something to keep, keep into perspective when you see this stuff. It's increasing, it's decreasing, but I bet there's still more antibiotics used in the U.S. than there are in a country in Africa where, yes, it's, it's increasing a lot, but it's nowhere near, near as much, you know, so. Mm -hmm. And you would probably see the same problems in terms of access to good antimicrobials for mm -hmm. animal use in some of those countries as they have in, in human use. With lack of regulation on what the drugs contain in some cases, a rising level of use, does that actually reflect a rising level of antimicrobial or or is it a rising level of perceived manipulation of the drugs if there's a perception that the drugs are are less and less effective is it really that they're less effective because of resistance or because there's sort of that problem with counterfeit drugs mm -hmm. again that's out of my field i could see that that perception could increase prescribing either way, whether there was an increase in counterfeit drugs in the region or not. So it's hard to say what is what is actually causing that increase. So that's true. I mean, if it's not working, then someone's going to go back to the store and buy some more. They're mm -hmm. going to try something else. I also think it's important to say that antibiotic use is not uh, necessarily bad things. It's part of human health and it's part of animal health. And if it's increasing in some countries, that might actually be a good thing. Like a lot of times there's there's still a lot of people in low and middle income countries that don't actually have access to the antibiotics they need. So if it's increasing in this such and such a country, that could be a really good thing for, for human health in, in general, you know, for our world that they're finally getting um, access to the medical help that they need. So Right. And the welfare of the animals. And the welfare of the animals. That's right. Mm -hmm. I did want to talk a little bit about the data limitations in the report. Not every country was participating in, in this. And in the report, they attribute the majority of the lack of participation to limitations in being able to compile the data requirements. If you have a whole country's worth of data about animal antibiotic use that is coming in that isn't digitized, or if even if it is digitized, maybe it's not in systems that communicate well with each other, then you have major IT problems and 
issues with like, all right, how are we going to actually do the first step of compiling all of this data? And so the writers of the report attribute the lack of participation due to some of these issues. And they say in the report, the World Organization for Animal Health is working to address some of those. And they're bringing on it's called the Global Database for Animal Antimicrobial Use this next year. And so they're hoping that by having a single type of um, data reporting system, that some of these issues can be resolved. Now, as I was reading through this, I was struck with, well, I wonder what that's going to mean for the next report. Is there likely to be some similarity in the countries with the highest use of antimicrobials? where it's a little bit less regulated or there's a little less um, ability for transparency because of all of these data issues. And, and maybe the next report, like we were talking about earlier, is going to show that there's a lot more antimicrobial use or maybe not. Because like Beth was saying, there are countries that are not broadly using antimicrobials even if the rate is increasing. So it's hard to say what bringing on these new data uh, organizational systems is going to do for future reports, but I think that either way, getting that greater level of participation is, is going to be required to get a real picture of what exactly is happening and where and how we can address it. So that's one of the things that this report does, and as we get closer and closer to full participation, that it'll be a stronger and stronger tool for achieving those goals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I don't know if you guys noticed this point as well, where they talked a little bit about how in the previous round of this, 47 of the participating countries pledged to reduce antimicrobial use by a total of 30 to 50 percent by 2030. So that's pretty quick turnaround, eight years, pretty ambitious goal. But a 13% decline in this round, if you took that out to uh, 2030, they would meet their goal for a 30 to 50%. So ambitious goal it might be, but they seem to be doing well. And we'll see what happens when those other countries' data is incorporated in terms of how easy it's going to be to meet that goal. But I thought that was pretty encouraging as well to be able to get up to something like a 50% reduction in antimicrobial use by the end of the decade. It could make some really big, big differences. Pretty hopeful to me. Yeah, I would agree. Um, a 50% reduction is, is huge. That's, that's amazing. I'd like, I'd really like to see that happen. Thanks for joining us on our podcast today. I hope you learned a lot and we'll come back next time. Bye-bye. When I ever do these, I get that real up speak thing, you know? Oh yeah. I do Please too. Like then, me. Please like yeah. me. Yes. But at the same time, if it gets monotone, then it's like, oh, this person's bored of this. <laughs> mm. All right. Thanks, everybody, so much for joining us today on this episode of Tales of the Resistance. We cannot wait to come back and continue to learn about antimicrobial resistance with each other and, of course, with you, our wonderful audience. Thank you. That last thing. Well, at least I didn't. I wasn't flattering. Wonderful audience.
<laughs> oh, you think I'm pandering now? I see how it is. <laughs> Didn't like that I called you the marvelous Miss Beth at the. And start. that's different because I know you, and you're not trying to trying to woo me into coming on again. Okay, <laughs> I, I, I just lay down the whip. <laughs> you are coming on again. <laughs> okay, well, I'll try it once more. Well. I guess that's all the time that we have for today. So sad, but we really enjoyed. <laughs> well, this one definitely goes on the blooper reel. Then Beth will just relentlessly mock me and my intros and outros throughout the whole blooper exchange. Okay, so too much enthusiasm. We need a middle ground. <laughs> okay.